Welcome to Pushing Up Lilies. I'm your host, Julie Matson. Pushing Up Lilies is a weekly true crime podcast with spine-tingling, unusual, and terrifyingly true stories from my perspective as a forensic death investigator and a sexual assault nurse examiner. Do I have some stories for you? Are you ready? So I want to continue this series on Halloween homicides, but I also want to talk a little bit about how it all started. I don't want to bore y'all with all of the history, which goes way, way, way far back. But of course, we all know it's customary for kids to go trick-or-treating and go from house to house in their costumes and they get treats like candy and sometimes money. Of course, costumes were modeled after figures like vampires and ghosts and skeletons and witches and all this scary stuff. But then over time, the selection kind of grew a little bit and it became ninjas and princesses and things that the kids saw on TV and wanted to be superheroes and that kind of thing. And of course, we all love to see the pets dressed up like hot dogs and pumpkins and bumblebees. And they're always so cute. And you have to love all of the haunted houses and the mazes and hay rides. You don't really see hay rides that much anymore, but I know that we used to love them. It's real popular for the carnivals to do games for kids and give them all kinds of cool prizes. We all love the candy apples or the caramel apples. I can just remember all the carnivals that we had as a kid where we had the cakewalks where you walk around a circle and there are several spaces which are numbered. And then if your number gets called, you actually get to choose a cake that someone brought. But no matter how you look at it, the traditions are going to vary among countries that observe it. But we all love the giant spiders and the giant spider webs and the jack-o'-lanterns and the scarecrows and all the cute orange and purple string lights and the morbid decorations like the foam tombstones and the gargoyles. And even though the truth is that the last day of October was actually once a religious celebration, it has now become a fun evening where the kids get to dress up as their favorite character and wander around the neighborhood collecting enough candy to make them puke. The truth is there really are very few child haters putting razor blades and poison in Halloween candy. So that can give us a little bit of joy in celebrating this season. And in my research, I ran across a couple other really interesting Halloween deaths that probably most of us have never even heard of. So we all know that all over the world, there's a huge gang population in California. So in Northwest Pasadena in Los Angeles County, back on October 31st in 1993, there were actually three gang members who gunned down a group of boys who were trick-or-treating. It turns out the kids were ages, one was 13 and two were 14. So there were actually three who died and three who were wounded. 
There were a total of 10. They were returning home from a Halloween party. Three of them were killed, and one of them, a 14-year-old, was actually shot in the leg, and then another 13-year-old was shot in the hand. But these kids were all ranges in age from 13 to 14. They were just innocently walking, and one of the men involved in the shooting was Herbert McLean. He was a junior, and he was 26 years old. And he shot a man by the name of Robert Lee Price. This is about three days before Halloween. It was on October 28th of 93. And so McLean shot Price. About three days later, one of McLean's associates by the name of Fernando Hodges was actually shot and killed. And they thought that his murder was caused by one of Price's friends. So they started plotting revenge. They got to the corner market and they saw several tall young boys. And they did see that one had a black bandana and one had a blue bandana just barely peeking out of his pocket. And they assumed that they were a part of the Crips gang, which was a rival gang. They hid in the bushes and jumped these boys and yelled trick-or-treat and just started shooting. The three guys were each found guilty on three counts of first-degree murder and five counts of attempted murder after eight days of deliberations. And McLean was also found guilty of the attempted murder of Robert Price three days prior. So initially, when this went to trial, the very first jury deadlocked on whether or not to recommend life in prison versus the death penalty without parole. So with another jury actually being chosen in 1996, they actually subsequently sentenced all three of them to death. And these guys were actually super obscene and disruptive and threatening during the penalty phase and were actually required to wear stun belts while they're in the courtroom. So it turns out one of the kids who was shot, his mother was actually a detective in the area. And she heard the shots when she got home and responded to the scene as quickly as she could and realized that one of the kids was her own. I mean, you can only imagine. I know that as a death investigator, I'm super careful to get the names of all the victims before I go on a scene because I don't want to show up and then have it be someone that I know. It's one piece of information that I always try to get before I respond to a scene. Of course, as a detective, her first response is to try to get there, to try to help. She heard it happen. One of the first ones to respond, only to find out that one of the victims was her own child. And also in California, ran across a case that happened in San Jose on Halloween night. And this was back in 1984. So Doreen Herbert was eight months pregnant when she was murdered by her ex-husband, Michael Dennis. And this happened on Halloween night again in California. Doreen was actually born in California in 1952. She had a job as a physical therapist, and she dated William Michael Dennis. 
And he actually worked next door to the office where she worked as a physical therapist. And he was a sprayer at a factory. And that's how the two of them met. Dennis had always had issues with dating. He had a long history of hearing loss, had issues with girls because back in the day, hearing aids weren't actually discreet. It caused him some issues with dating. End result, he ended up depressed and caused him to develop a stutter. But after a few months of dating, the two were married and then she had their son, Paul Dennis. So as things happened, the couple divorced in 1977 and Doreen ended up getting custody of Paul. And then Paul was allowed to visit his dad on weekends. But Dennis was very bitter about the divorce. The two really kind of butted heads. Now, Doreen kind of moved on. She married Charles Herbert. Charles owned a local carpet store. And they actually met when her car broke down and he stopped to help her. So that's how the two of them met. They married and then they had a daughter, Deanna, who was born in 1979. So Doreen and Charles actually raised Deanna, who was their child, and then also Paul, who was the child that she had with Dennis. Now, it so happened that about... A year after Deanna was born, and this was in February of 1980, little Paul was four and he had climbed through a fence in the backyard of the residence where Deanna resided and he fell into the swimming pool and Doreen was watching him from inside the house while she was doing her housework and actually saw him, pulled him from the pool, and he was on life support for a week. But about three days later, he passed away less than a month before his fourth birthday. They'd also had a dog, I think, that drowned in the pool. And Dennis, who was still a little bit disgruntled and bitter over the divorce, was super angry because he knew that Doreen knew of the dangers of drowning. They had already lost a dog in the pool and she was supposed to be outside with him and he climbed through this fence and ended up drowning. And so he blamed Doreen and he actually filed a wrongful death suit against her that went to trial back in March of 82. And the judge ruled in Doreen and Charles's favor and they cut off all contact at that point with Mike because they no longer had a child together. There was no more child support. There was really no reason for the two of them to converse whatsoever. Over the next two years, Mike continued to deteriorate. I mean, he was devastated over the loss of his son. He was still bitter over the divorce and he ended up losing his position at work. And then he took a pay cut so that he could continue to work and keep a job of any sort. But nonetheless, he believed that Doreen was completely guilty of their son's death. And he believed that he was murdered to allow Doreen to completely cut ties with him 
so that she would not have to deal with him anymore. So he thought that it was purposeful, and that was the reason that he took them to court. But in 1984, Doreen became pregnant. She had miscarried a couple of times. She had a baby due in November. So she was about eight months pregnant. This is Halloween of 1984. So Doreen took Deanna, who was her son with her current husband, Charles, and they went trick-or-treating. Charles stayed home, handed out candy at the residence. And so this sounds like a typical Halloween evening for a big majority of the couples. The husbands don't want to go walking around. And so they stay home and hand out candy. Well, when they returned home, Charles went to get more candy because he had run out and he was going to go to the liquor store as well. So he was gone for about 15 minutes. Doreen was home by herself at that time with Deanna. And around nine o'clock, there was a loud knock on the door and Doreen answered the door and there was a man in a wolf mask. He had an 18-inch machete in his hand and he said to her, I'm going to kill you. So could you only imagine? I mean, at first you think it's a joke, right? Because it's Halloween and everyone has masks on and The knives look real, but aren't always real. And so thinking the worst, as a mom would do, trying to protect her child, she told Deanna to hide. Charles returned home from the store. Shortly thereafter, the front door was unlocked. And what he found was horrifying. William Dennis, Doreen's bitter ex-husband, had actually used the machete to hack Doreen into pieces, and she was lying in the entrance of the doorway. She had been struck in the head, and her left hand had been severed. She was, at the time, like I said, eight months pregnant. The fetus was removed and actually in the living room and had also been hacked with the machete which is horrifying. Now, Deanna was still hiding at the time. And so she was behind a sofa and reportedly did not see this happen. Thank God. I know that she probably heard way more than she should have, but she was hiding and didn't actually visualize this occurring. Whenever William Dennis left the residence, he left the wolf mask by the door. Now, Doreen was only 31 at the time this happened, and she actually died on the way to the hospital in the ambulance. When the police went to check Mike's house, they saw blood on the steering wheel inside his truck. He actually invited the police in to his house to look around, and he had a bandage on his right hand, and he told them that that was from playing with a knife. And, of course, their search revealed blood everywhere in his house, on his clothing. They actually found a receipt for the machete. They found two coffins that he had made by hand for Charles and Doreen. And so he thought this through for a long time. If he made coffins... And then there were also body bags and weights and then a map 
of the San Francisco Bay. So he planned on dumping them in the bay, but he denied any accusations and was actually released, if you can believe it. I mean, after 48 hours, he was released. So on November 5th, he was arrested, but only after they matched his blood type and he was charged with murder with special circumstances, which made him actually eligible for the death penalty in California. They also found in doing research and, you know, before all this went to trial that they had pictures and had talked to some friends who actually verified that he wore that same wolf mask the previous year to a Halloween party. So they confirmed that the wolf mask that he had left at Doreen's house when he ran had actually been worn by him in the past at a Halloween party. And I believe they actually even had pictures of that, if you can believe it. The trial was in July of 1988, and he pled guilty to first-degree murder of Doreen and then second-degree murder of the fetus. In September of 1999, he was sentenced to death in the gas chamber. However, he is currently on death row in San Quentin, and he has tried to appeal several times, and of course, none of those have been successful. He claimed at the time that he did not know that Doreen was pregnant, although people who know her, including her sister, said that she was as big as she was tall. I think they said she was only like five foot two. So, I mean, we all know at eight months pregnant, most people are going to show. It's going to be obvious, but I think at first, Deanna had said she thought she heard the baby crying, but then the medical examiner determined that the child never lived and the lungs had never actually expanded after he removed them from her abdomen. So surprisingly, in doing research, Halloween is one of the most common times of the year for crime. And statistics show that of the number of car accident fatalities on Halloween night, 40% of them are due to drinking and driving. There are, on average, about 17% more crime-related claims on Halloween, according to some insurance companies. Property crime is the most common crime committed on Halloween, and that's about 60% of property crimes that involve theft. Violent crimes can increase by as much as 50%, which is two times the daily average. And a lot of people wonder why crime on and around Halloween, why there's an increase. And they say that some of the contributions would be at that time of year, it gets dark earlier. I know that I had said before in a previous episode that, you know, I can remember when I was younger, we would always wait until it got dark. So it was not abnormal for us to not go out and trick or treat until like 9 p.m. And nowadays it's like five o'clock. I mean, parents are barely getting off work and their kids are already they're already out trick-or-treating. So, of course, now it gets dark earlier. They say that part of the contribution could be because there's more alcohol and drug use. People are away from their homes for longer periods of time. People know 
that they've left to go trick-or-treating. And so the chances of property crimes and thefts actually increase. And it's also known as a prank holiday. So that's just a few reasons why the crime may increase. Teens are actually out at parties, and that could include alcohol and drug use, and that can also contribute to the increase. And of course, just knowing the risk is really half the battle. So there's a few things that you can do to make sure that you and your family stay safe. And that is, first of all, if you leave the house, be sure and leave the lights on. That could hopefully make any burglars think that someone is home. And you can also set the timers now with all the smart plugs and timer devices that they have out there. If you can set them to come off and on, that would probably help too. But they say if you leave the lights on, that's going to helpfully make everyone think that you're home. Don't This is super important, and this is something that I myself am super, super guilty of. Posting, like when I'm on vacation, duh, hello, guess what, everybody? I'm out of town. If you know where I live, it's pretty much free game. But don't post on social media until you actually get back home. So no matter how cute your kids are, in their cute little costumes or how cute your pets might be in their cute little costumes. Don't post their pictures on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok until you get home because you are a prime target if you are clear across town and you let criminals know that your house is empty. Also, make sure that if your vehicles are parked outside, Whether you've driven somewhere to go trick-or-treating or your vehicle's always parked outside your residence, of course, don't leave any valuables in it. Remove anything that you want to keep. If it's not parked in your garage, make sure that anything of value is not inside of it. It's important to keep your doors and windows locked, even when you are home, but also just be sure when you get home to be sure and just lock everything up just to be on the safe side while you're gone and then also when you get home. If people can look in your screen door or look in your front door and see any valuables while you're not there, of course, we're leaving the lights on, right? Because we want everybody to think we're home. If you can see your flat screen TV or anything of value from your door, then other people are going to see it too if they walk up to your door. Back in the day, and I don't know if this is still the way it is, but they would say if you're out of candy or if you're not home, turn your porch light off. You could do that. A lot of people will actually leave a bowl of candy out kind of close to the road. No one comes close to the house or to the front door where they can actually see inside so that trick-or-treaters can actually grab their own. The only problem you run into is You get the occasional teenagers that decide to grab three handfuls of candy, and before you know it, there's none left. But it's important to make sure that no one can spot anything of value from inside your door. And then if you have home security, of course, that's always great. That'll make sure that everything is being watched over in case someone decides or tries to break in. Security cameras are amazing now. You can actually watch your front door 
from your phone if you're not there. So you can see what's going on, which is another great thing that we didn't have back when I was a kid. So again, bad things can happen any time of the year, but Halloween homicides just interested me. And I wanted to look into the subject because I know there is a little bit of mystery in the holiday of not knowing who's walking around with a mask on. But there are ways to protect yourself. There are ways to protect your family. And so I wanted to include those as well. I look forward to looking into more of Halloween homicides to talk about with you next week. Thank you so much for joining me today on Pushing Up Lilies. If you like this podcast and would like to share with others, please do me a quick favor and leave a review on Apple Podcast. This helps to make the podcast more visible to the public. Thanks again for spending your time with me and be sure to visit me at pushinguplilies.com for merchandise and past episodes.